It is Orphan Sunday, and um, we love Orphan Sunday. Uh, we love to celebrate Orphan Sunday, which I realize could sound a little bit, you know, awkward because, man, there is an orphan crisis in our world. But I want to be clear that we are not celebrating the crisis. What we are celebrating um, this morning is the daunting reality that God, for some reason or another, has invited us to be part of the lives and the futures of kids in need all around the world. Now, we get to celebrate the fact that so many of us are saying yes to being a part of changing the stories of hurting kids around the world. We are celebrating the fact that many of you will say, I want to step in and be part of what God is doing to, to minister and, and to work in the kids who are hurting all over the world. What we're celebrating is that we get to be a part of different stories. And we got to see just a glimpse of that even just a few moments ago as some of our own kids stepped onto the stage um, right here. So it's an exciting morning for us. Uh, we love uh, this invitation to be part of what God is doing in the world around us. We think this matters immensely. And uh, I, I want to just start by explaining why uh, the plight of the hurting child around the world matters so much to us and why we believe it should matter so much to you. And then we'll take some time to talk about what that looks like for us and some of the ways that is happening um, right here at Mission Point. But why should the orphan matter to us? There are a lot of reasons, but I want to give you just a few. And here's the first one. Um, caring for the orphan and the vulnerable child is a matter of obedience. It's a matter of obedience. God says to care for the orphan and the vulnerable child. This matters immensely to God, and what matters immensely to God should matter immensely to us, and therefore it is for us a matter of obedience. By the way, this is such a great place to start the conversation, because um, I am that person who has said something to the effect of, well, orphans just aren't my thing. Like, you know how we have different things, and well, orphans just aren't mine. Like, there's some people who are into Annie, and there's some people who are into The Sound of Music, and there's some people who are into Oliver. But not me. I'm not into the orphan. It is not my thing. I would say something like, this is just not an issue that's on my heart. And it is really important for us to say, no, it is a matter of obedience, meaning it is an issue that is on the heart of God, and therefore it's something that we ought to be involved in. Um, if you have a copy of the Bible, James chapter 1, verse 27, it is one of the most concise sections of Scripture speaking to this. In fact, we're going to spend um, our time in this one verse. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, we're going to have the verse up here on the screens as well. But James chapter 1, verse 27, here's what it says. Religion 
that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There is a kind of loving God that God especially loves. There is a kind of doing church that God looks at and says, perfect. And I don't know about you, but I want in on whatever doing church looks like if God is going to say, perfect. Now, it's interesting that in this section of Scripture, this is not suggesting that the church is perfect in the sense that it doesn't mess up and it doesn't make mistakes. No, a church will make a bunch of mistakes and will miss the mark on many things. What this is saying is God would say, but if you get this thing right, church, if you get this thing right, then some of those other things that you may miss on won't matter quite as much. This is so central to the heart of God. And the thing being spoken of in this passage is to take care of the orphan and to take care of the widow. Now, let me be, be clear. Um, James doesn't say care for the orphan and the widow because the orphan and the widow are the only people in our world who are in need. No, he is saying the orphan and the widow because in that cultural context, the orphan and the widow would have been the people most in need. The heart of God is to care for the people who are most vulnerable, care for the people who are most in need. And in that cultural context, a widow would have primarily been speaking about an older woman whose husband had now passed away. And uh, in that culture, uh, she couldn't work. She couldn't own property. Um, in that culture, at her age, beyond childbearing years, no one would want to remarry her. And so when her husband died, she was put in an incredibly vulnerable position. Her options were limited. Her future was bleak because now she either had to go as a slave in someone's house and labor in an attempt to survive. If she didn't have kids, you know, especially male kids, she was living in a world of hurt. She was incredibly vulnerable. That's the heart of this passage. The orphan in that context would have been a kid who lost his primary caregiver. Whether that was both of his parents together or his dad or her dad primarily. But now the kid has no one to take care of them. And it would have been understood that that kid would have been incredibly vulnerable because they were now susceptible to being, you know, to being taken in as a slave and being abused or mistreated in a variety of different ways. The reason James speaks of orphans and widows is because in that cultural context, they were the most vulnerable of all of the populations, which is, by the way, why if you hang around Mission Point for a while, you hear us talk less about orphans and more about the vulnerable child. 
And you are going to hear us talk about orphans and the vulnerable child, not because we think that the plight of the widow doesn't matter, but because we believe that in our time, in our day, in our age, the most vulnerable populations on the planet are kids. And the heart of God in this passage is, I want you, I command you to take care of the most vulnerable people in your world. The people who are experiencing the greatest need. And you know as well as I do that if a kid's support system is broken or even fractured slightly, it puts them in an incredibly vulnerable situation. And God is saying, I want you to enter into that world as a matter of obedience. So the question is no longer about whether I have a passion for kids. No, God makes clear he has a heart for the vulnerable. And as such, it becomes a matter of obedience that we step in to care for the most vulnerable of all. And we believe that's kids who are in need. It's a matter of obedience. Ah, But the second reason is caring for the vulnerable child is a proof of faith. It's a proof of faith. It it proves our faith. Um, Let me make some pretty um, strong statements. Um, Because I believe if, if we don't care for the vulnerable child... We're faking church. James would say, let me blame James for the strong words, um, that if you claim to believe in Jesus, but you don't help the vulnerable child, you're faking. You're faking, right? If you say you have faith in Jesus, but your feet don't follow your faith, to the vulnerable child, James would say, your faith is so fake. Caring for the vulnerable child is a proof of faith. Here's how James says it. Look at uh, the words of James chapter 2, verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save them? Rhetorical question. Then he illustrates it, verse 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, let alone a child. If one of you says to them, go in peace, we'll pray for you, read the scriptures, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their actual physical needs, what good is that kind of faith? A rhetorical question, but James still wants to be clear, so he answers it, verse 17, in the same way. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. We wants to care for the, for the vulnerable child so that ours would prove to be a living faith. By the way, Orphan Sunday, I believe, is one of the most key Sundays in the life of the church around the world. And I'll tell you why. It's because I believe that Orphan Sunday gives us an opportunity to take a litmus test. 
How real is your faith? How, how real is your faith? How alive is your faith? And the simple biblical litmus test for that is what are you doing to help the needs of the most vulnerable? Such as the orphan, such as the vulnerable child. Because otherwise, if you are talking about a whole lot of other things, but your faith does not lead you towards helping the vulnerable child, let that tell you something about where you all are at. I think it's such a key Sunday. And as a church, we want to live that real and alive faith that doesn't just talk about faith kind of faith, but that kind of faith that puts its feet where its faith is kind of faith. And we love Orphan Sunday because it gives us just this gut check, this opportunity to ask the question, how are we really doing? See, because we can measure attendance, we can measure numbers, we can measure how well somebody on stage talks. But James says, if your faith is all talk, but it doesn't actually translate into action where it matters most. In the lives of the most vulnerable, he would say, mm, you might want to check your faith again. And I may be biased, y'all, but can I just say this is one of the reasons I love being part of Mission Point Community Church. You all live your faith. This place is full of a bunch of you who are just not content to talk and talk about Jesus and not show off the love of Jesus in real, tangible, practical, meaningful ways. And I love being a part of an alive church, a church that proves its faith with its feet. But more on that here in a few moments. Because I know this, we're going to get a lot of things wrong. But Lord, may we get this right. So that when you look at us, you say, now that's an alive kind of faith. What does that look like? I mean, how, how do we even start living this? What does it look like at, at Mission Point? A family that longs to live this and continue to live this more and more. Well, James tells us. Um, look again at James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, because you're going to find so many reasons in this world to be distracted and deterred and pulled away from what matters most to God, and you find yourself living for all kinds of stuff, but missing the thing God says matters most to him. But it's interesting that, that he says, look after them. Look after them. The term look after means to, to answer the question, what can I do to help address the need. What can I do to help address the need? And I'm telling you right now, that's what this means. That if we start to live in a posture that looks at the plight and looks at the need of a vulnerable child and asks the question, what can I do to help meet that need, we are now starting to live the kind of faith that James is 
describing. God is saying, you obey me and you prove your faith to be real by addressing the needs of vulnerable kids. And unfortunately, that's all James gives us. He's not super chatty on this. doesn't give us a template, doesn't give us a tutorial, doesn't give us like a to-do list to follow. He simply says, no, address the needs of vulnerable kids. And um, we believe that tells us at least two really simple things, really practical things when it comes to what it looks like to live this out. Um, Thing number one, this has to mean that we are called to do something, that we are called to do something. Um, Now, for those of you who are just getting introduced to the... um, orphan crisis around the world, it is real, church, and it is heartbreaking. Uh, The numbers say that there are 140 million orphans around the world. That is just mind-boggling to think that you could populate the state of Indiana 21 plus times over with the number of kids who've lost either one or both of their parents. But the plight of the vulnerable child is bigger than that in and of itself. Because that number doesn't take into consideration the kids that are in orphanages. That number doesn't take into consideration the kids that are on the street. That number doesn't take into consideration the kids that are in the system. That number doesn't take into consideration the kids that go to school with your kids, whose parents are just not in a position to take care of them well. That number doesn't take into consideration the kids who go to school with, with your kids, whose parents are in the picture but just don't care to care well for their kids, making them immensely vulnerable. The, the plight of the vulnerable child in our world is real, and no number can really do it justice. It is overwhelmingly real. Now, what that can sometimes do to us is bring about this paralysis where we say, I feel so overwhelmed by that. Like, what do I even do that that seems too big? And what we'll sometimes say is, well, I, I, I don't feel like I can really put a dent in that grand of a crisis, and so I'm not going to even try, which is what makes me love what James says. Now, ask the question... What can you do to meet the need of a vulnerable child? Do something. And this is so good for us to see. Because the calling of God is not to do everything. It's to do something. It's not to do all the things, but it's to do a thing. And I trust that the question we're going to continue to ask over and over is, okay, I can't do all of those things, but but, but what is the something that I can do? And the second thing I would say that emerges from this um, passage practically is that I believe we are called to do something. Same words, different point. I'm not losing my mind up here. Some of you are worried for me. Um... Now, do 
something, right? In the first sense, you can't do everything, but the calling of Scripture is not to do everything. The calling of Scripture is to do something. But I think it also means we should do uh, something, because here's what's often tempting for me to say. Because I can't do that specific thing, I can't do anything. Right? And this is where you hear us start to say, but I don't feel called to adopt. And because I can't do that thing, I don't feel like I can do anything. No, 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 no. Um, we all are going to have very different and very unique things that we can do. And that's really important for us to understand, really important for us to embrace. In fact, I love the way our church embraces this that I may not be able to do that thing, but I can do something. We may not all do the same thing, but I believe we all have something that we can do. And I love the way our church embraces this. And I love the way so many of us who started feeling like that's so overwhelming, I don't want to talk about it because I can't do everything. And God says, I'm not calling you to do everything, I'm calling you to do something. But then I think about all of these people who've started orphanages and they've adopted 30 kids and I don't feel like I can do their thing. I'm not calling you to do their thing, I'm calling you to do your something. And I love the way that that's happening here. And as we all start to say, what is it that we can do? To meet and help the need of the vulnerable child, something starts to happen that trickles. Something starts to happen that changes the stories of kids' lives. Something starts to happen that wakens our faith. Something starts to happen that makes God smile and say, perfect. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of doing something. And for some of us, that something is adoption. For some of us, we are going to feel uniquely called to bring kids who are hurting or kids who are vulnerable into our homes and make them a permanent part of our families. Uh, five years ago, I would have said, I don't feel called to that. And then four and a half years ago, it's like, yes, you do. And then that's been our family's journey the last number of Years. I was just praying that my daughters wouldn't break anything um, on this stage when they came up uh, a little bit um, ago. Uh, but it's amazing to see our church respond to this. Um, I, I think about um, Rachel Oman. I think about Lori Whitman. I think about these ladies who are stepping in as casas to be advocates for hurting kids in our own county. And that's the something that they're saying, I, I can do that, so I'm going to step into that world. I think about Amy and Thomas Holton. I think about their just unique brand of pesky, how can we help you? How can we help you? Because we know that you've brought kids home. How can we be a support system to you? And I think about many of you who've said, we don't, we're not taking kids on right now, but we would love to be a support structure to those of you who are in the middle of it. Just figuring out a way that you can do your something. It's been beautiful. I think about those of you who are generous and you've given towards our adoption fund and you've helped to tell a different story in the lives of some Bulgarian kids. One in particular who gets to come and live with the follies because you did 
something in light of the vulnerable child. I think about those of you who've made meals for families who are in situations where they're bringing kids home and they're overwhelmed and they're pulling their hair out and they're like, ah, okay, maybe I'm speaking about us in particular, but I can't tell you how amazing that ministry was to us when we're in a season where we felt overwhelmed and here come these lights up the driveway delivering the most delectable of meals. Because you know when people bring meals, they bring their favorites and we just absolutely were blessed by that. And who would have thought, like think about this, how many of you would think I'm going to make a difference in the life of a vulnerable kid and I'm going to make a meal? No, we typically think about these glamorous and really large scale actions. And I love those of you who've done things like that. I think about those of you who are in education and you come alongside the vulnerable kids in your classroom, and your classroom becomes this magical safe space where kids experience love and kids experience consistency and kids experience security because of your choice to step into their stories, even as an educator. I think about some of you college students who I've seen at Martins, and you've chosen to use some of your time to mentor kids who are academically vulnerable because you understand that if they continue down this path, it will just limit the number of doors that may be opened to them. And so you spent time tutoring these kids, doing your own brand of something. And it's beautiful to see. Now, I can keep telling you story after story, but I would love for you to meet some of the folks in this church family who have chosen to do their something. Even as you ask the question, what might your something be. But check out the stories of some of our folks who've stepped in um, and done something. So check out the screen. Hi, I'm Josh. This is my wife, Jen, Saul's giver. We have four children. Jen and I had talked about adoption uh, very early on in our relationship, even before we were married. Uh, but I'd say f primarily, you know, I was interested in adoption just because of uh, my faith in in Jesus and knowing that he did the exact same thing for me. He adopted me into his family and he gave me a wonderful position uh, with him and I didn't do anything to, to deserve that. So once we started at Mission Point five or so years ago, they were, um, they had a foster care fair and it just seemed like the right time for us to jump in and yeah, it was scary. In early February of 2016, we got a call from our social worker and she just asked if we would be interested in providing a home for um, a four-month-old infant who had some medical needs and with my nursing background, um, that was something that was exciting to us and we've been praying about our next steps um, with foster care um, and the timing of it just seemed really perfect, I suppose. And then in March of this year, um, so it had been over two years that he'd been in our home, um, dad's rights were involuntarily terminated and mom, she ended up signing her rights over voluntarily. You know, Benjamin lived with us for two and a half years just as our foster son. And, and during that time, we certainly went back and forth um, just in, emotionally on whether, you know, we wanted Ben to be a permanent fixture in our family or not, and that that just goes to say because we, you know, our heart is and always has been to adopt, and just to give give that loving home for a child who needs it. 
So his mom and I had had sort of a relationship because she came to some of his appointments and things. So um, we would converse then, and she was always very kind and respectful towards me. And uh, she was incarcerated at the time of the final hearing. And and when she came in, it was just um, I wasn't expecting it, but she was in her jumpsuit and um, in handcuffs. And just when she passed, um, the Lord just said, this is not just about him, it's about her too. And so um, I think it just felt like we have to fight for this child. And it's not just for his sake, it's also for her sake um, and for any sort of future relationship that we may have and, and to be able to point her to Jesus. On the ride home from that court hearing, I think is when we decided that, that we were wanting to adopt Benjamin. And he, we officially adopted him September 14th of this year. So it's been a long journey, <laughs> but he's ours now, so. When I think about vulnerable people, especially children, it's more of a question of why not help for me. And I think that's how my journey of foster care started. I'm single, I have extra time, I have extra money, I have extra love to give around. Like, why wouldn't I consider doing that? So the process of foster care took me a while to get certified and all that, but I have been a foster parent or a licensed foster parent now for almost a year. And since then I've had two placements, one that lasted for about 10 days, but then the second placement was with two kids and it lasted for six months. So I knew that I was going into this as a single woman. And if I didn't know myself, people would say, wow, you're doing that as a single woman. And it wasn't until I had children in the home, especially my second placement, that I realized this is a single parent life. And it was hard, um, but it was something that I felt like I was able to do because of the community I had. I had many people willing to help, whether it was people picking up um, the kids' laundry every week and then returning it folded. I had people who would text me on their way to the grocery store to ask if I needed anything. Someone from my small group dropped off diapers every two weeks um, for the kiddos that I had. Babysitting needs, there were college students who would come um, after the kids would go to bed and just sit and do their homework and babysit for me for free. I was consistently blown away by the people that came around me and helped me not feel alone in the journey. So the kids have been home with their dad for the past three months. And in that time, I have been able to take the role of being his biggest cheerleader. It has been a joy to remind the dad that he can do this, that single parenting is so hard, but to be able to celebrate the small wins that he even shares with me. One of the things that I've learned in building my tribe around foster community is I have found so much value in the people who have reached out to me and said, hey, here are some of the specific ways that I like to help you. Can you choose one or two of them? I want to invite people into this journey because it cannot be done alone. And the more people are around me, I know the more healing um, the kids that I have in my home will have, the more support I'll have in doing that. I'm Amber Hoderick. I'm married to Brian. We've got three kids. I'm a part of the OVP committee at Mission Point, Orphan and Vulnerable Children. From as long as I can remember, I've had a heart for children um, who have maybe not had it as well as I did. About a year ago, I was listening to a story of a child who had been through the system and the people that had impacted their life. And one statement that really stood out to me was just that 
everyone can do something. And for me, that really hit home because I knew that while we didn't feel called at the time to be foster parents or to bring a child into our home, that there were so many things that I could be doing, um, that I should be doing. So I decided to kind of plug myself in and I reached out and joined the committee. I was one of the only people on the committee that was not either an uh, an adoptive parent or in the process of fostering um, or really even pursuing that route. Um, but I had a passion for these kids and also for the families and what I could do um, to support them along the way. So we hosted a back to school bash for all the families that would be able to just bring their kids and and kind of have some fellowship time together. And so I you know, just helped put together that event um, and organize it. And um, it was really great to see families be able to just kind of relax. So through having some conversations with some of the families and getting to know them better, I was I started to see how there was this void, there was this need. There didn't seem to be a lot in the way of qualified people that um, these families could call and just say, hey, I need a break. Um, can you come over for the afternoon? Do you think you could watch them for you know, the evening so we could have a date night or really just any of that? And so I started thinking, I mean, I love these kids. These, these kids, I wanna spend time with them and I wanna to get to know them better. And I love the families that are doing the hard work, so I'd love to be able to support them. Um, so this is where I feel like I can step in and this is where I feel like my gifts would be best used. The thing that I would love to see come out of this, the thing that I kind of dream about putting together would be a group of individuals that have the same passions for these kids that um, would be willing to and excited about um, stepping in and you know walking alongside the families and just saying you know we're here for you and we are ready and willing to step in when you need a break you know when the mom comes back and is refreshed because she had a couple of hours to do whatever it was that she needed to do um, you know it can just be so rewarding because you feel like you've done a tiny little bit in the you know huge scheme of things but you are doing your part that you're being called to do and and that's important everyone can do something everybody, everybody can, can do something everybody everybody can do something everybody That's awesome. That is so great. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this a little bit ago, but I love being part of this church family. This is us, folks. We are trying to figure it out. We don't have it all together. We don't know all the answers, but this much we believe. that This is part of God's heart, and we can do everything, but we can do something. And I love that in that you know, video. We don't all do the same thing, but we all do our something. And the dream, by the way, is that this will be a movement of people. And if you call Mission Point home, then you're figuring out what is the something that you get to do and you get to bring. By the way, um, that's just, you know, sampling of some of our um, people. Um, I want to show you a graphic. Just even in the last year, since last Orphan Sunday um, to this Orphan Sunday, um, check this out. 16 children have been fostered, which means we've opened up our homes and given a safe space. You all have done that. 
in the last 12 months. It's pretty um, amazing. Five children have been taken in um, and have been adopted in the last year alone. 79 meals delivered. Each fork represents five meals. That's great. And then there's like one fork with like three whatever. That's great. Very mathematically accurate. Um, and I'm telling you, in the last year, we were recipients of one of those 79 meals, or maybe 70 of those 79 meals. I don't know. Um, seven car seats given. Can we just pause and say, in case you've ever wondered, can you make a difference when it comes to the matter of a vulnerable child? And who would have woken up and thought, like, we're going to give a car seat, and we're going to join God in his quest to care for the vulnerable child. And yet, that's the something that you can do. And it's been amazing to see that um, happen. And $6,300 given to the adoption fund. And um, pretty amazing to see in the last year the difference that's been made. As, as many of us have said, I can't do it all, but I can do something. And church, we are just getting started. Um, I can't even begin to imagine what the next 12 months are going to look like. But here's what I can tell you about the next 12 months, is that in 2019, we want to do this even more. And that's one of the reasons why we are going to be partnering with a number of organizations who are stepping into places very intentionally where they are helping the vulnerable child. And we as a church family want to say, we are with you. We are in this together. We want to be part of God's smile. We want to be part of making a difference in these stores, we want to be part of living an alive faith. We're going to be partnering with organizations um, like Three Strand, who we've partnered with um, historically, but we want to do this even more. Uh, and some of you may know Three Strand, Mike and Myra Taylor um, started this, this ministry, this organization, about 10 years ago. And uh, Three Strands is a, a medical mission organization that provides health care for vulnerable kids in impoverished places around the world, particularly um, Haiti and Central Africa. This is amazing. This is the something Mike and Myra said we can do because we realize that there are kids who are vulnerable and many of them are losing their lives because of a lack of medical care and we can provide that. And in 2019, we as a church want to say we are with you, we are all in with you, and we want to figure out how we can be partnered with you more in, in that regard. Uh, I think about uh, Agatas, and some of you may be familiar with Agatas, Ryan and Nina Berger, who are part of this church. Um, man, the Lord placed on their heart a desire to start this ministry to kids in our county through sports. And uh, it started with a soccer camp in the summer. And this soccer camp started small, and then the soccer, soccer camp has just blown up. It's ridiculous. Um, man, it just this past summer, they got to interact with and show the love of Jesus to, man, about, man, I can't remember the number, 633 kids, I believe, which is just insane. Um, and part of their heart was to provide these um, amenities for kids who otherwise may not have the opportunity to do that. 2,028 kids that they've gotten to interact with and share the gospel with over the last number of years. And in 2019, we as a church want them to feel the weight of our support and know that we are in this with you all. And then this summer, they started doing these pop-up camps, which were beautiful. Uh, 
they started going to um, low-income neighborhoods and setting up these soccer camps, which was, you know, so amazing to watch. Like, at first, they're treated with suspicion, and kids are looking at them through the window. Parents are like, mm, we don't know who you are. And before long, the kids are on the field playing and learning the sport of soccer, and parents are lining the outskirts. And these are parents who cannot typically afford our club soccer. And so for many of them, for the first time, they get to experience watching their kids play soccer in that context. And I remember being at one of these events and listening to Ryan tell the kids, Jesus sent us here to tell you he loves you. And Jesus sent us here so you would know we love you too. And then at the end of this whole thing, they feed the entire neighborhood. That got super awesome. And we want to help them do that even more. And so you're going to hear us invite you to come on, be part of this. Join us in making this kind of a difference. I think about an organization like Design Outreach. Um, Abe and Lisa Wright, who are a part of uh, this church, um, helped to start this organization called Design Outreach. And what Design Outreach does is puts water pumps in impoverished villages around the world, which is just insane. And if you know anything about the water crisis, um, this typically means in those villages, kids have to walk miles and miles in one direction to to take a bucket and to go to a a pond, a cesspool, honestly, if we're honest, um, of water and get water and then carry it back to their homes. And that water is typically diseased and it ends up spiraling a cycle of sickness. Uh, because they have no access to clean water. And all of, man, the tragic doors that that opens, um, man, are too sad and too numerous um, to recount. And so um, Abe, who I consider a nerd, if you ask me, because he's an engineer. And nerd is just my way of saying he's smarter than I am, really smarter, uh, much smarter than I am. But he's an engineer, and here's an engineer who said, I know what I can do. I can use my engineering gifts to design which is legitimately the best water pump on the planet. And a dude who goes to church with you or helps to design this thing. In fact, I was at their celebration um, a couple of months ago, and they were celebrating five years since the installation of their first pump in Malawi, and it's gone five years without a glitch drawing clean water out of the ground. And now these villages are thriving. Kids can go back to school because they don't have to spend hours and hours running and drawing water. It's been amazing to see the difference Design Outreach is making, and we are saying to them, we want to partner with you and be part of what it looks like to make a difference in the lives of vulnerable children. And we would love to invite you to be all in with us on that. The question of James chapter 1, the question on Orphan Sunday is, is really, what's your thing? What is it that the Lord is calling you to do? And the question is, are you open to considering going all in with us, knowing that this is a movement that longs to make a difference and see our faith living and see God smiling as children's lives and stories are being changed in the world around us? By the way, next week, we are going to come back and talk a little bit more about what this looks like. But let me just be honest with you. We are going to ask you the question. Are you willing to go all in on showing and sharing the love of Jesus, particularly showing his love to the hurting and the vulnerable kid around the world? But more than that, are you willing to to be part of this movement 
Because like I said last week, if you are here, we believe Jesus is opening doors for us, and we are going to see unprecedented gospel impact if we walk through them. And that's something we want to invite you to answer. Are you in? Not just in theory, but really, are you, are you in? Do you want to be a part of that? And we trust that so many of you will say, yeah, count me in. I want to be a part of what all of that looks like. Um, I'm going to have the team come out, and they'll close us in a song. Um, but as they do, let me just say there's another reason we get super excited about the thought of helping the vulnerable child. It's because it paints a picture of Jesus. It paints a picture of Jesus. We want to help the vulnerable child because we are the vulnerable child. Isn't that our story? That we were hurting and we were broken and we were helpless on account of our sin. We were left for dead and there was nothing we could do. And then God saw us from heaven. And he didn't just talk about our plight. He entered in. He sent his son to pay an incredibly high price to redeem us, he, an incredibly high price to restore us, an incredibly high price to bring us in as a part of his forever family. And now we get safe, and now we get meals, and now we get blessing. He has included us in his family when we were in the greatest place of need. And then he says, I am your father, and I am calling you to go do the same for the kids in the world around you, because that's what I did for you. And we are a church that wants to say, we are all in. We want to obey you. We want our faith to be alive. And we want to paint this picture of Jesus as we make a difference in the stories of kids. And we hope that you be in on that. So Jesus, we thank you for coming to get us. We thank you for stepping in and doing that something that only you could do, no one else could. And we are alive because of it. May we not be content to just be recipients of your incredible grace and not be conduits who channel that grace into the lives of others. And so even now, Holy Spirit, we pray that this would not become just something we talk about, but this will become something that we believe is close to your heart and that we believe starts to show Jesus in beautiful ways in our world. And Lord, I do want to thank you, even just a little bit ago, hearing about the reputation of Jesus in our community because of this church and the way this church is stepping into hard and broken places to be part of stories being changed forever. We want in on more. And so as you open these doors, we are in. We will step through them. Thank you for including us. Thank you for inviting us. We accept in Jesus' name. Amen.